we are in for a special treat. We have our Greenhouse Gainesville microchurch pastor, Matt Ulrich, joining us. So make some noise as I welcome him to the stage, Reverend Matthew Ulrich, to bring the word. It's going to be amazing. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Lord, we love you. Speak through Pastor Matt. Use him in this church family for your glory, and so we can hear your voice and follow you more passionately. In Jesus' name, amen. One more time, wild applause for Pastor Matt. All right. Hey, good to see you guys. Like John said, I'm Matt. I'm the microchurch pastor. I've been at Greenhouse for 17 years. I've been the microchurch pastor in Gainesville for 15 years. Excited to be with my South Florida family down here. It's been a minute since I've been here with you, uh, but I did get to hang out with your staff a week or two ago at the staff retreat, so I sat to see John and AJ and Malik. Um, Let's see, we had Michelle, Michael. um, By the way, just going to throw it out there, I did beat Michael Vluce in pickleball. Was it a fluke? A hundred percent. Am I going to stay from stage? Absolutely, right? Um, excited to see the Collies and see Christina and see Matt as well over there with the camera. So really good. You guys, can we give it up for your staff? Like these guys are like amazing, amazing all-star. Madison and Lisa, like everybody here is just really, really great. So this morning though, again, thanks for having me. We're going to kick off a new sermon series called The Good Life where we talk about how God and finance and money all intersect. I know this can kind of be like a, a, a touchy subject, a dangerous subject if you've kind of had hurt from the church in this area before, but I promise you, Nancy's not going to get up here and cry with mascara running down her face telling you they need money for the fund for Pastor John's Rolls Royce or anything like that. Like that, that's not going to happen. We're going to stick to the Bible this morning, and we're going to see what Jesus has to say in Matthew 6, 19 through 24. So if you go ahead and stand with me, this is just a way we kind of honor God's word when we speak it. And Jesus says this. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Pray with me one more time. Jesus, we we want your heart on this. We want your joy in this. We want to see what you have to say. And so, Lord, we pray that our hearts and our minds will be wide open. Speak to us, teach us in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, you can have a seat. Now, before we get into kind of the meat of this passage, I just want to ask, have you ever wondered what Jesus means in this middle part about your eye being healthy or unhealthy and what in the world that has to do anything with treasures, money, or finances, right? I mean, for years, I was like, I read that, I was like, amen, and I just kind of keep, keep moving because I had no idea what it meant. But so, so I'm going to nerd out with you a little bit. The original language this was written in is Greek, and that sheds some light on what this means. I'm going to bring it up now because I think it helps set the stage for the sermon and kind of this whole idea uh, in the front end here. So the word healthy that's used in NIV and ESV translations, it's not a great word choice in my mind. The, the Greek word is this word haplos. It means simple, 
unfolded, single, literally means like without folds, right? What does that mean? It means to have like a, a singular undivided focus. So you could also say it's like, it's without secret. It's, you don't have a double agenda. It doesn't, it prevents you from an overcomplicated life from being needlessly distracted. All right, and so the word for, for unhealthy is this word paneros, which means bad, full of labors, annoyances, and hardships. So, so I did some thinking because I'm a dork, and, um, and I was like, man, so I was studying this passage. I'm kind of going through, Malik, you can feel me on this one, right? The teacher in you is going to resonate with me on this, right? And I came up with the MUV. It's the Matt Ulrich version. Right? I, studied some really, I, mean, I studied some really fascinating Greek words here uh, and took a stab at what we call a functional equivalent translation. This is like the message in the passage, and I know even saying that's a translation, just like any teacher is like getting frustrated. It really is my thoughts on the, on the passage. So I'm going to kind of rephrase this, reword it in a way that I think you can kind of get a little bit of a good feel of what's really kind of going on in the text, right? So let me just try this. It goes like this. Don't get caught up in creating storehouses full of things the world calls treasures here in the realm of time and space, where outside forces can take away from you and of which you don't have any control over. You can lose these treasures so easily. So why lose sleep? Why be filled with anxiety? Why spend time worrying about trying to keep them? You can't lose treasures that come by focusing on God and him alone and having him be the treasure you seek. So have a singular focus on God and your life will be free, full of light, full of the actual joy and peace you thought those worldly treasures were going to ultimately give you, but they never will. Let your eyes be constantly fixed on him and nothing else. But if you choose to take your focus off of God and have double vision, which leads to a split in desires that is trying to gain the contrasting treasures that come from knowing God and the temporary treasures of this world, you are going to fully forfeit the light of Christ for the darkness and confusion that the world and its so-called treasures brings, and how dark and confusing that's going to be. You can only truly be surrendered to one Lord. Trying to somehow surrender to both gets you nowhere. Ultimately, having double vision means having no real vision for the Lord. You will eventually lose your vision, passion, and devotion to Jesus just because you simply can't surrender your heart to both Jesus and the treasures of the world. So that's my stab at it, right? So... Now, there's a lot of different treasures of this world, right? There's fame, there's success, there's praise from others, there's positional authority, but it's interesting that Jesus singles out this one. He does so with money. And here's the deal. I feel like Jesus was a master orator, right? He knew how to talk in a way that pulled people in. And I think this passage was much more of a cliffhanger passage than we read it, right? We read it so matter-of-factly, and we just kind of go through it. But, but look at the context of this passage, right? We have to remember that Jesus didn't preach the Sermon on the Mount in chapters. He wasn't like, and for my next chapter, chapter 6, we'll be addressing money, right? He didn't do it. This is, he's not reading out of a book. This is one continuous teaching. And what he said before this in Matthew 6 was, was this idea of not doing things for the praise of others, right? So Matthew 6, 1 through 18, he says, hey, listen, guys, don't give in secret, right? Pray for the Lord's attention, not for others. Don't fast so other people can see you. Fast for the Lord. And when you do these things with the singular focus of pleasing God, we store up treasures in heaven, which literally means that at one point when we go and see Jesus face to face, he's going to recognize you and say, hey, I saw that. Well done. How cool is that? Now, if we don't do that, if we do it for other people, he's going to be like, bro, you already got your, you got your gift down here, right? I, I want that Jesus, like, well done, good and faithful servant, don't you? Right? But because when we do these things for the Lord, we're storing up these treasures in heaven. 
Because he says, don't store up treasure on earth, which at this point in the sermon could mean many things for what Jesus was saying. It seems like it's trending towards getting praise of man, spiritual recognition of others, which seems like what would be happening. Because even in Matthew 6, 1, he specifically says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So the emphasis up to this point is the treasure of public praise and how futile that is when we should be seeking treasures from heaven. But then verse 9, 19 takes a subtle shift. Right? Jesus is now talking about tangible treasures. He's talking about clothes that moth and vermin can destroy. He's talking about treasures that somebody could steal from you. He goes back to this idea of focusing on God and how if we don't focus on him, we can get sidetracked and get way off spiritually. But then he drops this line in verse 24 where he says, no one can serve two masters. And at this point, I think the people who are listening, they probably are starting to like, kind of like lean into each other. Like, what, what, what do you think it is? What do you think the other master is? I mean, is it, is it religion? Is it praise? Is it, is it fancy stuff? Is it treasures? And so you got to remember that nobody's heard this before. This is the first time. We've all read Matthew 6 like 45 times. We know what the next verse is. We know what he's going to say. But these people had no idea. And this is total speculation on my point. But I think that Jesus, in his master dramatic effect, I think he kind of slowed down. He leveraged his verbal acumen to really kind of give this a little bit of, of, of drama, right? I think he said, he said it like this. I think he said something like, no one can serve two masters. And he let that sit, let people kind of murmur. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Boom! I mean, I think that was the mic drop. I think the place kind of blew up, and everybody's starting to murmur, everybody's starting to talk, because back in the first century, the Jewish thought is wealth actually meant prosperity from God. That meant his blessing. So why is Jesus now making this major thesis statement on the radical power and sway of money that kind of is countercultural to what Jewish thought was at the time? And this is where I think these five verses really have the potential to be kind of life-changing because Jesus makes the claim that money can arguably more than anything else change the spiritual trajectory of your life and derail your relationship with the Lord. I mean, this is one of the primary things, according to Jesus, that can literally compete with God as the functional Savior and Lord of your life. Which is why I wanted to make sure we understood the whole I thing, because Jesus was stating, particularly in Matthew 6, 22 through 23, with this analogy of the I, that if your relationship with money is off, all of life will be off. Right? This is not one of those things that just has a little adverse effect here or there. It messes up everything. Jesus did not mince words. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. You cannot choose the effect This is an if-then relationship. Where your treasure is, there your heart is, period. So if money gets a hold of your heart, everything in your life gets influenced subtly at first, but then overwhelmingly down the path. So my dad's a doctor. He's 72 this year. He's going to retire within the next 12 months. He was in internal medicine, so it wasn't one of those ones he's making millions of dollars right away, but he's a doctor, y'all. Come on. I mean, he's going to be doing okay. But at what cost? He lost his marriage when I was 11. He was estranged from his three boys for about 10 years, which still has residual effects with my two brothers. And he has a lot of regret. He literally sat me down like a year ago and he said, Matt, I am so sorry about the way that I did things. If I could do it again, 
I would do it so differently with you boys. You know, one of the tragedies is that if we're not careful, we'll end up chasing money for altruistic and good reasons, like providing better things for your family and for your children, and money ultimately becomes your master and you become the slave. And we often don't realize this until it's too late. There's a reason that Jesus cautions us against the power of money. It's dangerous. It's, it's sneaky strong, right? This is why Paul talks to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Like in the name of providing for your kids, losing out on the precious time that you will never get back from them or being so focused on loving your spouse with the things that you're giving them that they don't get the thing that they actually want, which is time with you. Or missing out on what God's callings are because you're so focused on making that next dollar or you don't wanna lose the standard of living that you have to go do the things that God's calling you to do. The love of money is, is the root here, and this is critical, it's foundational. Jesus is, is cautioning us and revealing this ancient principle from God because this is not a new revelation with Jesus. This is something that had been in the the canon of scripture all the way back in the Old Testament. We've got a man named Solomon who knows this firsthand. He knows the corruption of money. And he also says it in Ecclesiastes 5.10. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Can anybody relate to that? You're like, man, if I could just make like 5,000 more dollars, man. Oh, man, we could, it would be so much easier. And then they get that five more thousand dollars, and you're like, man, if I could just make like $10,000, the then we would be ready. Oh, and then you get that, and it, it, it just kind of keeps creeping up and up and up, and we're never really satisfied. Because Jesus knew the principal effect and the sway of money. Your heart always follows your money. Always. Few things reveal your heart and direct your heart like money does. You can look at someone's bank account and see what matters most to them. All right, so my wife and I, we're fostering a one-year-old right now. She is precious, she is beautiful, she is strong, and she is expensive, <laughs> right? I mean, we gave all our baby stuff away. We have 11 and six-year-old biological girls. I'm, and so, so it's been a minute since we had a crib, we had baby clothes, we had baby car seats, when we have like play pens and expensive things like daycare. Okay, what in the world? I didn't know daycare was the equivalent to leasing a yacht. I, I mean, I feel like if you have kids in daycare, you have to work one job to live and one job to pay for daycare. What is going on here? I'm in the wrong business, y'all. But if you were to look at the Ulrich's finances over the past five months that we've had serenity, you'd see a trending pattern with our money. There is a baby in our house. Right, There's, this, is an important, this is important to us according to our finances right now, acclimating and loving this foster baby in our family. Because where your money goes clarifies what you value most and it codifies what you value most. It's a reinforcing cycle, right? So when you spend money on something, your heart does not only follow your money, it lands on whatever treasure you're investing into. For some of us, it could be a kid, some could be a car, it could be a house. I mean, how many, any homeowners in the room Right? Like you, you know that there's always that one more thing that you could do to make your house nicer and more livable, livable, right? I mean, you're looking in your bathroom, you're like, well, man, I mean, we, we could get a new vanity, but if we're going to get a vanity, let's just put a nice piece of granite on the top, we'll get some backsplash, ah, but the backsplash doesn't match the tile in the shower. Let's just get new shower tile, and then you get that, you're like, 
now the tile on the floor doesn't match, so why don't we just do all three? We'll put it on the credit card. We're actually saving money because he's only gonna come out once, not three times, so I mean, it's gonna be good for us in the long run, right? We start to invest our money, but it's not only our money, then it becomes our time. Now you're researching colors and all these different things, and your heart follows suit. Right, money's like words, right? Words don't just reflect what's in your heart. The words you speak help nurture and inform what will be in your heart as well. Right, so this is that verse 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye's healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye's unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if that light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? See, the love of money blurs your vision in a uniquely, potentially destructive way. Right, it's like, Zach, where's Zach at? There he is. So it's like, Zach, I've known Zach for a long time. It's like if, if I'm listening, you know how sometimes if, you, if you're a, a communicator, sometimes you look for certain people because they're the people who are like, hey, man. even if you're doing bad, they're like, good job, right? So if I look to Zach and, and he's giving me a thumbs up, my vision's blurred. And I look and, and, he's, and I see him doing this. I'm like, wait, hold up. Aren't we in trouble? Isn't that your worship leader, y'all? I mean, this is a little dicey, bro. I mean, so, so here's the problem, though. I mean, if your relationship with money is off, your whole life will be off as well. It blurs your vision. So much like Zach's thumbs up, I mean, things, you, you start to view them wrong. We start to get skeptical when we should be discerning. We start to get paranoid and see people who are trying to love us as people who are trying to take things from us. It's like John said earlier when we were praying, it's kind of like Gollum and his precious. Like we start to get all kind of creepy and crazy and it starts to really own us instead of us owning it. Yeah. Right? Riches are like the enemy's smokescreen. Because we'll say stuff like, man, Matt, I'm not like trafficking kids or anything crazy like that. I mean, I'm not like doing any bombastic, crazy stuff, but that's the whole tactic. You might not be doing anything super bad, but your eyes aren't on heaven either, right? Your, your eyes are kind of caught. You, 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 can, you can't see through the smoke of what's actually right in front of you. Mo- money and treasures have a way of being innocuous or feeling that way, but they're really inoculating you to the things of God. So I just bought a new car right? It's new to me at least, all right? So it's a, it's a Toyota Highlander. It's a 2012. It's got 174,000 miles on it, but that puppy will last forever, right? Like the, the, the kid on Sandlot, forever. So the, the, the family member I bought it from, she kept it in super great shape. She was kind of like, she rolled into like the Toyota dealer at 3,000 miles. She's like, I need my oil changed, right? I mean, she's just like, buy the book. It's immaculate. And so I got the car. I was like, man, this is in really good shape. I got to keep this thing in good shape if I want to keep it for a long time. So, so I bought like a nice like sponge thing to like clean it. And, and I'm kind of OCD. So I bought a little vacuum that I have like in the side. So like, I'm like, man, well, you know, if I can just do it like once at the end of every day, I don't have to spend like 30 minutes with a shop vac. And so I start to kind of get a little, obsessive compulsive about this, right? Um, But I'm trying to be a good steward, Lord. Just trying to be a good steward, right? But if I'm honest, I can feel my heart getting pulled towards this car like I'm picking up my my one-year-old from from daycare and and she had a thing of Cheerios and she's like, and she just throws them. I'm like, no! (laughs) So afterwards, I'm so frustrated. I'm picking up, I'm like, why am I so frustrated? She's one, Matt. She's one. Because my heart, yeah, my, my precious, right? I mean, it, it, it starts to hook you. And it could be ridiculous things like a 10-year-old car that does it. Because money and treasures are innocent until they're not. Right? The love of money is, is deadly. So the first thing we have to do to counteract this is to dethrone money as God. 
So the, the first thing you have to do is ask yourself, do I really trust God or do I actually trust money? And I know we're in church, so everybody's like, not me. Yes, Lord, I trust you. Amen. I trust the Lord. Like, I mean, we're, we, we, we know what to say, but I want you to actually stop and think about that. This is kind of one of the applications today is go home, talk to your spouse if you're married, talk to your roommate if you're not. Just, just go home, pray, think, look at your finances. And if someone were to look at your bank account and the trail of your money, would they say that you trust the Lord by the way you give or do you trust in money by the lack of generosity that's shown? This is one of those things that the Lord really taught me as a young man in the faith. I got married when I was 24. I, had, I, I was not raised in church. I was the first in my family to start following Jesus when I was about 17. Um, so I was pretty new to the game, got married uh, pretty young. Uh, we didn't have any money when we got married. Man, my wife and I, we, she was doing her master's at UF. I was a, a religion major from UF, so... Yeah, Pops was real proud about that one. Um, but, but, you know, I, so I was like overqualified for jobs I would have gladly done. I would have bagged groceries at Publix. I would have done anything. And, but I was, they would say, I'm sorry, sir, you're, too over, you're overqualified for that. But I was underqualified for anything else. So I'm like in this kind of weird limbo. So we're like living off of wedding money right now. And I'm freaking out because I like have applied to 60 jobs. I can't find anything. So, but we're, we're just living in this, uh, in this apartment. It is a roach infested apartment. Like, you know, not those big ones, you know, those little ones. Oh no, no. She said, that's not worth it. That's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, it was so gross that we just, it, we had to make it fun. We had to make it comical or else you just couldn't handle it. So like in the morning, we both get our fly swatters. I'd go to the kitchen. I go one, two, three, go. I turn on the light and we just start hitting and, and like, seriously, it was like, who could get more? We were like in the 10 to 20 range every day. Every day, y'all. I mean, I got my toaster from that apartment. We moved, we finally got out and I put it down in my new apartment and little, think, I was like, no, no. I threw that thing in the dumpster so fast. I'm like triggered. I'm like, my, my eyes twitching. I was like, never again, you know? And even though, even though times were tight, we still felt promptings from the Lord to give beyond our tithe, right? This is what the tithe is kind of like your 10%. The offerings is what you give beyond that. We still felt that pull to give beyond that. And so this is one of those things where I was like, listen, Lord, I got you. But like, if I give, like I said, there's two, two instances in, in particular that really were, were marking for us. We, we felt like we were supposed to give. It was like a month after we got married. I don't have a job. We don't really have any money. And it was like, hey, give $300 away. And at that point, it's like $300 means I don't know if we're going to pay our bills, $300. So I was like, all right, Lord, if you call us to do it, we're going to do it. So we give it away. And I kid you not, the next day, I get a letter in the mail from my uncle who is a pastor in Ohio. And he just said, hey, Matthew, thinking about you, the Lord put this on my heart to give you this. Guess what was in that letter? $300. I was like, okay, Lord, I see you, I see you. Then, like, you know, so we got married in August. That came in, uh, whatever, September. I swear I graduated first grade. Um, uh, we get to November, and we feel, again, like there's this prompting to give. And it's like $500. And we had saved. Cause, okay, anybody have family where Christmas presents are a big deal? Anybody in one of those families? I'm not from that family. My wife was. So I had to just fake it till I make it because I'm not a very demonstrative person. So... They're like, they open presents, they're like, oh my gosh, look at how great this is. And I, and I was like, thanks. You know, so, so I was already behind, and so now we're not going to have money for presents. And so we, again, felt prompted to give, and I was like, okay, Jesus, I don't know what's going to happen here. 
couple weeks later, I get this card from this cousin who I literally haven't seen in like 20 years. I met her when I was like four. I don't even remember meeting her. Uh, apparently, her husband started 1-800-CONTACTS, so they're doing pretty good, right? Um, but she's like, hey, so sorry I missed your wedding, blah, blah, blah. Guess what was in that envelope? 500 bucks. I mean, it's kind of one of those crazy things where we're like, okay, Lord. And, and here's the deal, though. The Lord's training our heart. We don't give to get. Okay, so God's not this karmic genie where if we spread our love in the universe, that comes back to us. Like, that's, that's not the God of the Bible, right? But Psalm 37, 25, and 26 says this, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Yeah. Yeah. And the, here's the, the kicker verse, I think, is verse 26. It says, they are always generous and lend freely, and their children will be a blessing. I was like, oh, Lord, I want my children to be a blessing. Apparently, it's tied to generosity. Fun Bible fact right there, right? And we'll be unpacking this over this next couple weeks in this sermon series. But, but this train Tracy and I from the beginning to be generous and to trust God in our generosity, there's joy there, y'all. This is not just like, do it. It's this angry God in the sky that's going to hit you with a lightning bolt. That's not Jesus. That's not who God is. He wants to invite you into the joy and the adventure of generosity, of seeing him come through in wildly miraculous ways and seeing people's lives get touched because he's allowed you to be a steward of his money to give to others for his glory. And even if he doesn't show up, man, we're still going to step out in faith and generosity. And this is huge because it hits on one of these critical truths in Matthew 6, 24. You can't serve both God and money. So how do we know who we're serving? Well, one sure way to find out if you're enslaved to money, treasures, and greed is to be generous. And I'm not talking about a one-time, just make yourself feel good by like, I gave $5 to a homeless guy, I'm good till 2024, y'all. Like, that, that's not how this works. It's a lifestyle of having an open hand with your stuff, with your finances, where you say, God, I will do whatever you want with whatever you've given me. Because the only antidote to the danger of money and earthly treasures is generosity. The only antidote to the danger of money and treasures and uh, earthly treasures is generosity, right? Now, do I think that there are treasures in heaven that can be other than generosity? Absolutely. But man, the direct assault on mammon and greed is generosity. It is the great revealer of your heart's true posture. You'll find it extremely quickly if your hand is truly open to the Lord and generous or closed. And if you're the ruler of your money or your money is the ruler of you. Just ask yourself that question. Are you willing to give that money away? Are you willing to give that thing away? Not just hypothetically, like, yes, I'm in church. Yes, I would give it away. I'm talking about, like, in the moment, would you really do it? You'll see how open or closed your hand is in that moment. I remember the first couple of years that we were married, we're probably three or four years in, I purchased my first Mac laptop. I drank the Mac Kool-Aid, and I have never turned back. I was in love with this machine. I thought I was so cool. I mean, you know how I'd like open it up and be like, just so everyone could see the apple. I was like, let me just put this in the right place right here. There you go. And we were in a microchurch at the time. Tracy and I were leading it. We had a single mom in our microchurch and her husband had just been, been killed in combat in Iraq. She's pregnant with her second baby. First baby's under two years old. She was struggling, y'all. She was trying to go back to school, but she had to go to the library to use a, a computer. She didn't have a computer. And I was praying one day, and I felt as clear as day, the Lord said, give her your laptop. And as clear as day, I said, no. <laughs> and then I started to bargain with God. I was like, listen, I can get her a PC for like 300 bucks. I'm trying to be a good steward of your money, 
So I'm just gonna give that to her, right? I mean, I, I tried everything I could to get out of like giving that away. My hand was so clenched on that laptop, I would not give it away. <laughs> but giving it like, the real issue was not the money, the real issue was the item. And so the Lord in his grace was looking at my heart posture and he asked me the question I'm asking you, Matt, are you willing to give that laptop away? And he exposed the fact that I wasn't. Eventually I did, just so you know. But God was, in his grace, was forcibly opening my hand of generosity because the only antidote to the danger of earthly treasures is generosity. We're stewards. We're not owners of the thing God gives us. We're stewards of the things that God gives us. But, you know, I don't want to also live a life where I'm always teetering on the edge of falling victim to greed either. Right? I don't want God to have to constantly be telling me to do something. I, sometimes I just want to do it myself. Parents, it's like you, you've told your child 15 times, just clean your room. Just do it. Just, just once this week, you know. It's the difference between me saying it 15 times and your son coming out on Saturday and saying, Father, I've cleaned my room. Is there anything else in the house that you'd like me to clean? Right? Parents, just, just take it, receive it, <laughs> receive it for your child. Right? But man, what a difference that makes if your son or your daughter is just like, I've already done it. Dad, anything else you want me to do? Uh, yes, there is. But, you know, but like, it would be amazing. That's, I want my heart posture to be like that towards the Lord. Man, Lord, I'll give it. Is there anything else? What else do you got? Right? We should not settle for just living our lives barely not worshiping money and treasures. The way we live our lives should not be kingdom defensive posture. It should be offensive, right? It's like when you're in a relationship. If you're asking the question, how far is too far, you've already lost. You're asking the wrong question. The best you can do is just white knuckle your way to purity and just have the goal of not sinning. Right? I, I want to have more than a, I don't want to just sin posture of my heart when it comes to finances. I mean, Jesus has given us so many great promises and so many amazing things. Like John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give you life and life abundantly. Man, I want abundant life, y'all. I don't want to just live life. I don't want to just have fire insurance for heaven. I want to experience God here on earth. Like Psalm 1611 says, you make known to us the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Church, let's experience that right now. The, Jesus said, this is eternal, John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So according to Jesus, when does eternal life start? When you know Jesus. Now, we get to experience, we get to taste and see that the Lord is good. This is all over the scripture. Psalm 27, 13 says, um, I, what does it say? It says, I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We can do this now. We don't have to just kind of like, oh, the big bad devil's gonna get me. No, I'm gonna bow up. I have more authority in my pinky than the devil does anywhere else because Jesus is inside of me. The same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead dwells inside of me richly. I want to tap into that. And I don't want to just get snared up and get the hooks of finances and money and things holding me back from what Jesus has for me in this life. And so up to this point, we've been talking about how to keep our heart from falling into being a victim. But the real way to store up treasures in heaven is to constantly be generous. Don't just react to your heart and its posture. Proactively guide it where you want it to be. Don't just react to your heart and its posture, proactively guide it to where you want it to be. 
But I'm trying to be faithful with my kids with this. I have, again, 11 and 6-year-old. We try to be proactively guiding their hearts towards generosity. So each month, we, you know, we do our tithe. That's kind of our normal thing. We have multiple ways that we kind of do offerings, which is giving above the tithe. One of the things that we do is we have $250 that we've allocated. That's kind of like family giving money every, every month. So every month, we have kind of a family meeting, and we share with our girls. We're like, all right, we've got $250. Where do you want to give it? And we'll share different, different missionaries we know. We talk about missionary Sam. We talk about uh, Grand Abundant Life, who a, a couple of our friends, they started an orphanage in Kenya. Um, they're building a school. Other mis- so so each, each month, we kind of give them a few options. We're exposing them to new missionaries and things like that, and they get to choose. And so they get to make the decision. And then we get to kind of like, we go and we give together as a family, and, and we make it a big deal. They're like, oh, we get to get. You know, and, and so like, they're really excited about it. Missionary Sam, uh, most of y'all familiar with Missionary Sam, right? We gave to him last year at the Big Give. He was coming to Gainesville last year as well. Samara, kids director, told the kids, they said, hey, Missionary Sam's coming. How much money do you think we can raise for Missionary Sam? And this is to the whole kids. She's like, $50, $100? My 11-year-old Lake is like, I'm going to give $1,000 myself. <laughs> I was like, okay. And so Samara's like, Okay. So she got this big Ziploc bag. So I don't know that this happened. So I'm, I'm coming out of church. I'm in the lobby, kind of like interacting, you know, engaging with new people. It's what pastor does. And I see my daughter, and she's like, <clears throat> and she's holding this bag. I'm like, okay, good, good. I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, so five minutes later, I kind of look back, and I see her, and she's talking to somebody, and they're putting like a $20 bill in this bag that she has. And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> I'm like, but I know them, so it's fine. I'll talk to her later. Go back to engage with people. I look back. She's on the other side of the lobby. Her bag is, like, filling up. She's talking to some random person, and they're putting money in the bag. I was like, hey, hey, baby, baby, come here, come here. Like, she's like, hey. I'm like, well, what are you doing? She's like, I'm getting money from people. I'm like, I see that. But, like, what? Why? She's like, I'm raising money from Missionary Sam. I'm like, baby. And so in my mind, I'm like, the optics are just really bad. <laughs> the pastor's kid has a plastic bag. She's going around hitting people up for money for missions, right? I'm like, this is not looking good. So I'm like, hey, why don't we just like pause on this? She's like, but people want to give. I'm like, I'm sure they do. But like, <laughs> help daddy out here. Um, the first time guest, you want to give money to me and my dad? You know, like, so, so we made a plan. So I was like, hey, let's think of another way that you can raise money for missionary Sam. So my kids, the entrepreneurs out there are like, we're going to sell pottery for Christmas because this is around November. And, um, and so my mom's an artist. She has a kiln at her house and all this stuff. So, so they went and we made a little video and put it on Facebook. And they said, we're going to sell pots for $25 a pot. And we're going to give it to missionary Sam. And Tracy and I made the foolish mistake of saying, hey, we'll double whatever you, whatever you make. <laughs> Those kids raised like $2,700 for missionary Sam. They're like, so you're going to double it, right? We're like, Yep. <laughs> So my two girls, 11 and 6, they raised over $5,600 for the big give and missionary sale. I was so proud. It was like one of my like proud papa moments. My 11-year-old Allie, she, she turned 11 in April, so April 4th. And I said, hey, what do you want for your birthday? She's like, money. I'm like, okay. Um, maybe not the best thing to ask for people. Why don't you? And she's like, it's not for me, dad. I'm like, well, who's it for? She's like, we had a missionary come to a kid's church, and so I'm going to give it to the kids and or- the orphans in Kenya. I was like, okay, okay, yeah, that's, good. That's, that's good, baby, that's good. You know, and so she raised like 1,200. I mean, this guy, I'm, I'm like Andrea, who's our missions director. I'm like, you can be out of a job pretty soon. <laughs> I said, but here's the deal. 
You don't have to be six or 11 to plant seeds to proactively guide your heart when it comes to money. Generosity does this regardless of your age, especially as you age. It's easy for an 11 year old to give away money because she don't have any money to begin with. She didn't have any bills. Mom and dad pay all the bills. But here's the deal. When, when, if you want to stave off the Lord of money, you're going to need to be generous. We've got to open our hand. You've got to examine your heart. You've got to make sure, man, is this how, does the house have a hold of me? It's not a bad thing to own a house. It's not a bad thing to have a car. It's not a bad thing to go out to eat every now and then. But are you willing to forego things for the sake of generosity? If you're tithing, that's great. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks, but, but tithing is obedience. I think the true overflow of joy and adventure and generosity, it comes when we're giving, when it's not required, but it's your heart's desire. When we really give a beyond the obedience, man, our hand opens up and we get to experience this life and the beauty and the adventure and the joy of seeing how the generous God is reflected in who we are and how he delights in it. All right, so I'm going to give you, this is the biggest theological statement I'll make all day. Generosity is not something we do, it is who we are. Generosity is not like a side thing that we do, it is who we are. I'm going to give you a very simple framework to look at scripture. It's going to help you be real smart, but it's also very simple, right? I'm going to, you just need to ask yourself these four questions. The first question is, who is God? This is your theological question. What has he done? That's your Christological question question. Who are we? That's your ecclesiological question. And what do we do? That's your missiological question, right? A lot of big fancy words right there, y'all. That sounds smart, right? Who is God? What has he done? Who are we? What do we do? The first three are what we call indicatives. It means they don't change. Who, who is God? What has he done? Who we are? Those are things that do not change. Circumstances can change. Other, that does not change. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That new creation is made in the image of God and it is brought about by what he's done through Christ. Those are indicatives, they don't change. The imperative is what we do. That changes, should change because of who we are. It should be the overflow of who we are. So like, look at this through the lens of generosity, okay? Who is God? God is a generous God who gives us his very best. This is not an adjective. It's not like, oh, Nancy has curly hair. Like, that's an adjective. Like, no, no, no. God is generous. That's who he is. What has he done? He's given us his first fruits, his son Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says he's the firstborn of all creation. He has given us his first and given us more than just that. The radical generosity shown on the cross and what he's done for us and how undeserving it was is the epitome of generosity. So who are we? We are the recipients of the first fruits of God. We are made in the image of a generous God. Therefore, we should be generous people. So what do we do? We give of our first fruits, but we give above and beyond that because this is what God has done for us. So there's this beautiful overflow. God is generous. He's proven that through giving us more than we could ask or imagine through his son, Jesus. That has given us not only the recipients, but the bearers of his generous image. And so we become generous ourselves. Part of being conformed into God's image is being generous. And this aspect of who God is and who you are is the antidote to the danger of money and earthly treasures. So what is our takeaway today? It's to store up treasures in heaven.
So let me, let me be clear. If, you do, are, if you're doing a house reno, should you walk out and be like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. Like, no, you're, that's not a bad thing. My question is, is your hand open? Is it bad to have a nice car? No, but is your hand open, right? Is, is it a bad thing to like go? No, like you, you just have to remember, you're not the owner of these things. You're a steward. Stewards don't make the calls. The owner does. Ambassadors don't make calls. The president does or the person in charge. The Bible says we're the ambassadors of Christ. So, so we have to make sure that we are posturing ourselves and our relationship with money as stewards and not owners. And we're proactively guiding our heart in the way that we want it to go. And that way is through generosity. And I can't tell you the amount of times where my heart has just been cold to the Lord my quiet times aren't hitting, you know, I'm not feeling it. Um, there, there are things in my life where it just doesn't feel like there's a real strong connection and I do something with generosity and my heart just shifts. When you buy somebody a meal, your heart just shifts. When, you, when you're in line at, at, at Walmart, I remember Tracy and I were in, in, in line at Walmart and this lady was super flustered in front of Tracy and she was clearly just kind of like had other things on her mind. She forgot her wallet in the car. She's like, I don't have enough money for this. And my wife, she was like, I got it. And she just swiped it for the lady. And the lady was like, what? And she just starts bawling. Her husband had just died. She was trying to get like an air, oh no, I'm sorry, her husband was in hospice. She was trying to get an air mattress and some of his favorite things right before he passed. And like, she just didn't have the money to do that. And, and it just like melted our heart. When you give to missionary Sam or some, like, it, your heart just shifts. When your microchurch rallies around, like, a need that someone in your microchurch has and you're able to meet it, your heart just shifts, y'all. Generosity has a cleansing effect on your soul. And Jesus said, if your relationship with money is off, your whole life will be off. But conversely, if generosity and money is in its right place, oh, my goodness, the effect that that has on your heart and your life is amazing. Because when we boil it down, the real question is, what are you looking for in money? Satisfaction, approval, safety, security. Ultimately, you're going to find out either by the hard way or simply by listening to the words of the one who has put your heart together and knows how to make it work and tick and be exactly how it's supposed to be, taking Jesus' words and putting them into practice, you're going to figure out one way or another that there's only one place that you're going to find all your satisfaction, all your approval, all your safety, and all your security in. And it's found in him. It's found in Jesus with his mercy and grace, his kindness when you fail, his steadfast love that just endures forever. You're not going to find that in money, and you can't buy it with money. It's only found in him. Because the reality is you can't serve two masters. And the sub-reality of that is everyone already has a master. It's not if, it's who or what. And so this morning, I'm just going to call you, man. Jesus is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to bow your knee to him and say, Lord, I'm willing to give you everything because you've given me everything. Even the things I have, I'm a steward. You are the owner. And maybe you're at a spot today where you're like, hey man, I'm just checking this out, but I'm intrigued by this Jesus character. Man, I would encourage you, make him the Lord and Savior of your life today. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for a while and you're like, man, Matt, my heart is gripped. It's gripped by money. I, I, 
I just, I came from a place of lack and I just, I'll be honest, like it's hard for me not to trust in this. Or maybe you came, maybe you're a doctor's kid like me and you're like, I'm used to having good stuff, nice stuff. And I'll be honest, I'm kind of stuck like running after these, these, these comforts and it's got a grip on me. And the question and the call this morning is really just to figure out where your fist is closed and to open your hand to the gospel. Open your hand to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm not gonna serve any other master. I'm not gonna serve money. I'm not gonna serve my stuff. I'm gonna serve you. 